You're listening to Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And today we're going to talk about a little bit of the site design, I think. Yeah, so we did a, a little bit of work uh, trying to incorporate Rise Design. And in the effort to move away from SoundCloud, we decided to use the HTML5 audio API. And in the process of doing that, we discovered that the default element that gets created looks kind of terrible. Yeah, I, but it's nice because there's uh, you don't have to use the default element. You can just use the JavaScript API. Right. And that's got a really sleek interface. Yeah. So, so how, like, walk us through how you ended up uh, implementing that. Well, so we we needed to handle a couple of things about playing audio. One, we wanted to obviously be able to play and pause, but we also wanted control of seeking, um, and we need to get a account of the current time. Um, so there's basically just a very flat structure for this, where you new up a audio, give it a handle to an MP3 somewhere, and you get back an, an you know an audio instance, and you can call play pause set current time. Yeah. Um, and you can also read current time, and that's where you would basically get. Um, I think it comes out in milliseconds. Yeah. So the API is really neat. Um, and basically, we were able to hook it up with a few components, right? Yeah, we have basically a, a, a really simple component, I think, uh, for the player on the bottom of the page. Um, and then we also have kind of smaller components that are that are data bound that are the individual uh, tracks that you can play for each podcast. Yeah. And, and one of the one of the interesting challenges there that I that I was really kind of excited about was uh, we want the player to be uh, kind of sticky to the bottom of, of the page, no matter where you navigate on the site. And what we were able to do was to get that to be sticky. And then whenever you navigate, if you're on any page that has the play button uh, shown for that episode that you're playing, it will actually be updated and, and kind of bound interactively. Uh, and it's kind of one of those benefits where uh, when you start talking about designing websites, you know, you having that statefulness in this, in this case is like really, really valuable. Because we're able to completely go around all over the website without, you know, really thinking about that. And everything just kind of stays hooked up. Right. And the, the way we had to do this was um, not very obvious at first. Uh, it was there was there were questions about, you know, kind of where things should live. What what should new up an audio? Should it be the component? Should it be a controller? Um, and what we ended up with is, a, is an audio that was newed up um, in a... Uh, service so it's a singleton because you can also change the audio's source and type um, which in, in our case we only ever need to change the source to just the uh, the next mp3 you click on right so that that worked out pretty well um and then also mm -hmm. we ended up with we needed basically a singleton collection of all of the episodes um to handle things like which one's currently playing um you know what what you know you might be on a specific spot on one um and then you hit play on another we got to rewind right um i'm actually thinking about how cool it would be to be able to like remember the state of where the person was listening to the last one. So if you hit play on one, then you hit play on another, and you hit play on the other one again, it'll start playing. Oh, and it would be snap. actually it would actually be pretty simple yeah. with this structure because there's just a you know a singleton collection mm -hmm. of episodes. So uh I was uh, I was getting Chipotle, which I mean I always love I love a, a nice burrito. And I'm sitting in line and I see that Wicked Good Ember tweeted at uh, at everyone saying that, hey the dorm rooms are finally finally available. And they had made mention of this uh, part of Wicked Good Ember's uh kind of like conference thing is that people will be able to stay there on the island. So it's like a conference and kind of you get to talk to people who are on the island with you. And and uh, and I saw this Twitter thing standing in line at Chipotle and I, I immediately realized that it was a limited supply. And I called you and I called one of our coworkers and said, hey, you know, you need to get on this. And, uh, and they ended up, we ended up getting all our, all our dorm rooms and, uh, and then they sold out like within 30 minutes or something. Right, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky you were paying attention because I was, I was head down on some stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, burritos. You know? Right. Burritos. Yeah. But that doesn't sound like you. <laughs> so uh, 
Anyways, those were just the early birds, though. So keep an eye out, and you know maybe we'll see you at the in the in the dorms. So uh, one of the libraries we want to talk about today is called Ember in Viewport by Lauren Tan, and I'm really excited about this uh, primarily because uh, it had a really amazing demo. And this is a, a tricky problem that uh, whenever you run into it, you're like, man, I would really wish there was some simple way for me to to start talking about like when an element enters the viewport and when it when it should change, maybe become active to expand or to change, to highlight or dim the rest of them or, you know, any number of like weird kind of viewport related logic. And this is a really cool solution. Yeah. And I was, when I first saw it, I thought, well, you know, what, what would I ever use this for? Like, I'm not going to highlight the borders of my images weird when they scroll in. But then I, I thought about it. Uh, and there's, you can actually see this uh, kind of technique being used a lot now. Um, Amazon does this on their fashion site. Right. And when, when the, you know, they have the big grid of images scroll up, and they do kind of what Google Images does now, where they um, the image is just kind of the kind of shade of the overall picture at first, and then once it scrolls into the view, they load the image so that they're not loading this massive right. list of images. Yeah. And this would be a perfect tool to do something like that. Yeah. When I told a, a friend of mine, I told them about this plugin. They were saying that it would be a really convenient way to do infinite scroll. Just oh, the element that I know needs to exist because I have some you know metadata. Uh, when it goes into view, then you need to go fetch the rest of the information, kind of like what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's pretty cool. I know when, when you and I first started talking about it, the first question you had was kind of how do you determine when it is going to be in the viewport? And, uh, and, and I looked at some of the readme and, you know, sure enough, one of the configurations options is you can determine when it is active in the viewport according to like some specifications. Like I want 50% of the top to be in view and then it will it will trigger the hook hooking into the to to the viewport entered hook that gets fired is, is pretty trivial so uh wanted to talk about the most recent security patch uh that was released to ember so the the select view was allowing a user input uh that is bound to any option to if uh, a payload was crafted specially was allowing some uh user entered javascript to be evaluated uh, so normally it's being escaped, and in this particular instance it was not. And the whole reason I wanted to bring this up is because uh, you know we had run into a, a, a problem with the uh, production Ember app that I'm working on right now. And the problem was, uh, you know, we we would upgrade it, and I, we ended up finding what the problem was. But when we upgraded, uh, it didn't immediately work from 110 to 111. So it was kind of like, oh, we couldn't do it really quickly. We'll have to come back to this and cycle around. Uh, and in this particular instance, you know, we were kind of able to say, hey, we need to do this security release. So it's a big deal, even even though it's, you know, it's probably not super mission critical, but we want to get up to date and make sure their their um, website secure. So I was able to go and upgrade and spend a little bit of time, split off for my pair, pair's work stream and find the bug that we had and upgrade to 111. And in this process, I was able to remove 30 bind adders uh, once we once we upgraded, a uh, few uh, updated the each logic, all of the things that happened in 111 that we talked about in episode one. And I got to tell you, it feels good. Yeah, I saw I saw a couple of the, um, the the bind adders you removed, and just I think one of them was using disabled, and the new syntax for disabled looks really clean. Yeah, it looks really good. Great. I, I we ran into an issue where uh, if you have the mustaches offset from the disabled flag it would it would throw a parse error i'm i haven't actually looked into it because if they're right next to the disabled property or the property that you're watching to determine whether or not it's disabled then it's fine but if there's space it's not fine you're saying like disabled equals space mustache uh no disabled equals uh, mustache space the property space um 
mustaches. So it's kind of a weird thing. I, I'm not 100% certain if it's not something going on with my environment, but it seemed pretty interesting. And I think the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, a blog post uh, by Peter Fessel called A Brief History of Time, uh, and it's about the Ember Run Loop. And I, I think both of us had a completely different mental model of how the run loop worked. I mean, we all... I think everyone has a different <laughs> mental model of how the Ember Run Loop works. Right. And, and it, and it uh, this definitely changed my, my view of it. Um, and, and answered a lot of questions. And I actually uh, showed me quite a few uh, of the properties for Ember Run that I didn't know even existed, or I, at least I wasn't using them. And I guess I haven't really come across a, uh, they haven't bit me yet, basically. Um, but it's good to know that, you know, which ones are there. So yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think there was a, there was a few in there like uh, Ember.run bind, I want to say. I yeah. didn't know, I didn't know about that at all. But in, in Ember, yeah, I thought this was really neat, the the, the run loop being explained. Uh, so the, the, the body of the blog post talks about, you know, kind of what the run loop is and how it's used. And then it goes into these detailed things. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. So, yeah, so my mental model, though, was like uh, bozo buckets. I know that's pretty much the worst way to describe it, especially because it requires a lot of context on who Bozo is. But right, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, well, it was basically you line up buckets and you throw ping pong balls into the first bucket and the second and so on. And uh, and obviously it's not an actual loop. It would go from the first queue to the second queue. And then uh, if this because the uh, first the second queue could have triggered side effects in the first queue, it would go all the way back to the first queue and then clear out that and then the second. And then it would get to the third queue and then do this, you know, you know, forever. And uh, and I have that mental model and that is definitely not something that everyone has. Right. So like so the second bozo bucket was throwing balls into the first one Correct. as you were trying to yank them. Out. Yes, right. absolutely. So th- yeah, that middle model is crazy. It's not it's not good, but, <laughs> but uh, it helped me. It helped me try to understand a little bit. And I think I think this has a lot more to do with um, when cues are triggered and how they're and how those queues are being pooled up into, uh, you know, manageable chunks of, of executable callbacks. So he does a really good job. Uh, Peter Fessel, uh, I think you should definitely check it out. The last thing we're going to talk about today is Ember Islands by Mitch Lloyd. And this is a really cool tool that lets you use uh, Ember components in your Rails app, um, basically outside of the Ember ecosystem. It's recommended that you use this with Ember CLI Rails, which I'm a maintainer of. Right. I should mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm so, giving a talk at Rails. Sh- shameless plug. Shameless plug. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so basically, you can do things like uh, have a self-contained Ember component that you uh, use in your Rails app, um, and it basically lets you kind of slowly work Ember into your existing Rails app without going like f- you know full out Ember and converting everything over. Right. It it allows you to to have that that middle ground where um, if you have an existing Ember app, it can be really challenging to say. I know that the default canned response is that oh, these should be totally separate applications, and uh, and that's probably true. But sometimes that's not really something that big companies can do or people with you know teams of Rails developers. And this is a tool that allows users to like use some Ember, get their feet wet. Uh, and and to great effect. I mean, the the components like the component story alone is actually well worth the 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 price of admission. And uh, and this is something that you mentioned earlier that uh, part of part of building components is trying to make sure that they stay isolated, right? So that they're testable. Right. Like um, we have the, we run into this problem a lot when we uh, when we see beginners code uh, and where they've made a component. Um, and they they basically just shove everything in the component because Ember doesn't really like tie your hands on any of this. You can go reach out and get whatever you want. Absolutely. 
Um, and they'll be doing things like passing people a do. controller. Right. But they'll be like passing a controller in as an attribute right. of the component or, um, you know, calling a service from a component. Um, which yeah, which actually isn't that bad. Yeah. Sometimes it's fine, but it, but in this case, you, you you wouldn't want to do that because obviously the, yeah. the service wouldn't exist. And I think uh, some of the component sugar that you can get in Ember is not necessarily uh, easy to access here. But but writing these like really like isolated components and having this in mind, actually, you know, it could probably make you write better components just in general. Right, and also because they're components and they're so self-contained, they're they're really easy to test. And right. you get a test with QUnit, and it's just you know, ridiculously fast. Um, so there's there's a lot of benefits. And uh, with controllers going away, um, you could basically put just a, you know all of your you know Rails templates into components that are kind of anything that's self-contained enough. You can you can put in these components, and if you ever move to an Ember, right, like pure to Ember like a app, purely split kind of uh, infrastructure, right. And in that case, you just get to move these components. There's right. there's very little change you're going to have to do to get those components yeah, into that's, a pure Ember CLI app. That's, yeah, totally. I am I am 100% sold on this. I think it's great. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Burritos. We talked about burritos. And um, it was really important. It was. It's, I need to mention the burritos. I like burritos. I, I, I think you're hungry. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little hungry. We're about to go get dinner. We're recording late tonight. So. Uh, I think that's it for this Ember weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. We'll talk to you next weekend. Thank you.